It's Thursday, September 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Can we, before we get into the news of the day, because there is news, we're going to talk automotive, we're going to talk publishing, we're going to talk about a board of directors that appears to be highly engaged, unlike the people who are asleep at the switch over at Equifax. We're going to get to all of that, but you were last week at an investment conference in Las Vegas, America's Playground. What is one investing takeaway you can share from that conference? Yeah, I can't tell you what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Chris. You know that. You know what? <laughs> I expect better from you than just hackneyed lines like that. Come really? On. There must have well, <laughs> come on. Only slightly better. Come on, you're you're at a Deutsche Bank conference. There must have been like one or two things that you can share. I know that some sure. of, some of it was private meetings, and you're doing your work for Motley Fool Asset Management, and I'm not looking for you to, to divulge, oh, here are the takeaways that we're going to put into action with the funds, and you know, and here's what we're going to buy. But there must have been one or two interesting things you can share with the dozens of listeners. Sure. Uh, and this will tie in. Why not, why not just tie this right into our first story? Tesla, I thought, was the most interesting, the most uh, well-attended of the breakout sessions. The way these conferences work for those who haven't been to one, which is hopefully all of you, uh, is hopefully because they're boring, or well, hopefully, yeah, you're doing more productive things with your lives than, than going to <laughs> than these, you, than I am, than I get to do. That's <laughs> exactly okay. You've distracted me. Uh, so anyway, the way you, the conferences the way work. The conferences work, and you actually you can uh, frequently uh, find links to these things on the websites uh, of of companies, and you can get sort of an audio frequently or uh, the PowerPoint that they present. And so you can get most of the information yourself. And that is, uh, frankly, courtesy of The Motley Fool, in part, uh, which is a story that uh, we've told at some point about uh, Regulation FD. Anyway, uh, Tesla gave a good show. They did not do the usual, oh, here's a PowerPoint presentation on what is our business, and uh, here are the growth rates, and here's you know what we would like to do in the future, and here's why we have a competitive advantage over the competition, which is your standard 20-minute show, and then there's a, a couple minutes of questions. Uh, you know, Tesla, I think, gets the assumption that everybody knows what they're up to, and you can go right into the most interesting things right away. And uh, unlike some companies, they're playing offense. And the companies that I was most interested in hearing the stories from were ones who have uh, an offensive story to tell. This was a tech conference, so uh, that was plenty of, of companies which have in their own eyes, promising futures. Uh, and some do not, some some which we've, uh, in asset management, uh, followed for years and had some investments in. Not, not everything works out. Um, and I, I think Tesla referred to just having 50% growth, sort of as far as the eye can see on an annual basis, which is the kind of numbers which, when you are up at the numbers they are already at, uh, compound Fifty percent over a few years, and you get some really big numbers. So whether they'll do it or not, as as the uh, representative uh, mentioned, uh, you know their job is not to find demand for their product, but to actually supply, to actually deliver on what they have promised up to date, and that is not 
as easy to do as to just project out, and and that is a challenge for them. Well, as you said, that does tie into our first story, which is the fact that Tesla is reportedly working with AMD to develop its own artificial intelligence chip for self-driving cars. AMD, uh, the Washington generals to Intel's Harlem Globetrotters. I mean, they are the little engine that could of the chip world, and they are. I think I'm the, my back on the envelope math is the, AMD is one fifteenth the size of Intel. But this is the kind of partnership that we we don't know the details of it, but just the association alone sent shares of AMD up about 5% late Wednesday afternoon when the story broke. It is treading water to being up about half a percent or so as we walked into the studio right now. Does this does this move the needle for them from here, or does it really all come down to what are the terms of the deal? Because this is not Tesla saying, back up the truck, we want to buy as many chips, you name the price, and we're going to pay it because we love you guys so much more than Intel. This is much more of a, no, we want to work with you. Uh, right. And it's in fact, it's not necessarily even that, because it is a report that they are talking to each other and that AMD's technology is something that Tesla is considering incorporating so that it's not solely dependent uh, on Nvidia for for the technology so if you assume uh, as you very well may that CNBC has got the reporting right on this one uh, and that they are uh, working together in some way then it's an interesting opportunity for AMD and the one thing that investors over the years have done often to their detriment with AMD, is to get too excited. And it is a company which, 10 years ago, had uh, $6 billion in sales. It's got uh, about $4.5 billion in sales today. So, Well, that's lower, isn't it? It's lower, and it hasn't really visited dramatically different numbers. It's not like it went from $6 billion up to $10 billion, down to $2 billion. It's been, been between 4 and $6 billion for the last 10 years. Sometimes with a little bit of profit, sometimes with a large uh, amount of losses, and the stock has been far more volatile than the underlying business. But over the last ten years, the underlying business has uh, not rewarded shareholders at all. It's it's got a less than a half percent annualized return over the last ten years. So, uh, d- done much better in the last three to five years. Uh, it it had a huge year as a stock last year. Even though it was up 300 percent, as you may recall, I'm sure you covered that a few times uh, over the year. Um, but really, the sales were within 10 percent of the previous year. So it does. The market has has decided that uh, it's much more interesting times ahead for AMD. But it's been it's been about four or five years since they've actually produced a, a profitable year. Let's move on to Scholastic, uh, the bookmaker that's having a tough day. And by bookmaker, we mean they actually make books. They're 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 a publisher of books. They're not a bookmaker like a bookie. A bookie. It's not guys and dolls. Uh, the first quarter loss for Scholastic was bigger than Wall Street was expecting, and. You've talked before about how the greatest thing in life, or one of the greatest things in life, is to have an easy act to follow. In this case, Scholastic had a very tough comp. Uh, 
they had a very tough act to follow because it was a year ago that they came out with uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which they sold 11 billion copies of. Apparently, yes. Parts one and two. Uh, and that is probably what they, as a stock at least, are best known for, is the excitement around Harry Potter publications. It hasn't really amounted to, this is very similar to the story of AMD in, in uh, this sense, that it's been a very volatile stock with an underlying business which has been much more stable, uh, oftentimes unprofitably, uh, than you know the excitement that, that surrounds, oh, this Harry Potter book is going to turn it around, they're going to be able to take the profits from this book and turn it into more recurring revenue. You know, it, it's not been a happy time for publishing over the last decade. Now, that's that's no secret. Uh, but they've managed to underperform the publishing group over any relevant time period that you wish to choose. And uh, I I don't have um, an explanation for how they are going to turn that around. They've they've already got all of the interesting names that you can think of in the children's publishing space, or just about all of them. So, the fact that the stock, at one point this morning, was down 10-11%, it's hitting a 52-week low, you don't look at that and think, oh, this might be a value play right here? I think if it's more likely to be a value trap, uh, in that it looks possibly, like, oh, you know, if you just, okay, 2018, another Harry Potter book coming out, supposedly. I read I read that somewhere. What's that book going to be? Uh, I don't know. You're you're more of an expert on this Harry Potter stuff than yeah, I. Yeah, I think the next one is Harry Potter and the Pot of Neverending Money. I think that's what it's that's what for J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, we've talked before about uh, certainly recently we've talked a lot about Equifax, and one of the questions we've asked is where is the board of directors in all of this, and what does it take to get fired at Equifax? Uh, the board of directors at home builder KB Home, on the other hand, is not messing around because, as as some may have heard, last Saturday night, the CEO of KB Home, Jeffrey Mezger, was caught on audio uh, yelling a string of profanities at his neighbor, who just happens to be comedian Kathy Griffin. Uh, Mezger was yelling at her and her boyfriend. And uh, today, the board of directors at KB Home announced that Mezger's bonus is going to be cut by 25%. And they basically said, if we find you doing this kind of thing again, you're gone. Yeah. Well, it. I don't know if that is a product so much of you're getting us bad press, and that could affect people's choices to buy a KB Home, I think. It's very unlikely to me that many people are going to fall in love with a house and then decide not to buy it because of the CEO's behavior one day, at least in this, you know, just using some foul language. Um, and more to do with, uh, yeah, they don't want him to do this. They don't want the bad press. But this is a guy who has been, uh, this is a recurring theme of companies which have done basically nothing for shareholders over the last decade. Uh, KB Homes is yet another one, which has really returned virtually nothing to shareholders over the last 10 years. And it has underperformed the home builders, uh, home building competition. 
and he gets a nice salary. And if he had to walk away or be pushed out, I don't think that shareholders would shed a tear. So you think this is the board saying, "Oh, here's here's an excuse we can use to." Slap this guy around and possibly get rid of him. Well, it was awfully fast, wasn't it? Right. I mean, oh, this yeah. is not a. All right, come on. Again, to go back to Equifax, <laughs> where they have the data breach. The, you know, the. I don't even know if that board of directors has met in the same room since that debacle happened. But this was in less than a week, in just what amounts to three days of the market being open. The, the board of KB Home just snapped yeah. into action. You used a couple of words that. Basically, everybody uses uh, now and again. I don't know. There were one or two words in there that probably not everybody uses, but uh, it it was a very uh, lightning fast reaction. So either you give all credit to the board for really being on top of this, uh, or you say, "Well, this is a board that was ready to slap a wrist." And uh, I don't know. I don't know which of those. Look, I don't actually have inside information on what the board's uh, intent was here, but I will just say that looking at the performance of the stock, it is not a CEO that you feel you have got to keep around no matter what. Speaking of CEOs, the bonus episode of Market Foolery is coming before the end of the month. And this all started back in June when we were talking about buddy cop movies and using CEOs to cast a buddy cop movie, and we opened it up to the dozens of listeners. I actually have here uh, the, a collection of email that we got. And you can still email us, marketfoolery at fool.com, with your pick for who would you cast. Because, with again, with buddy cops, for those who are unfamiliar with buddy cop tropes, you've got the mismatched cops themselves, usually the seasoned, older cop, who is partnered with the upstart, loose cannon, younger cop. You've got the police chief, who is just just sick of these two knuckleheads, and at some point calls them in and reads them the riot act. And, and there's usually at some point, there's the, all right, I want your gun and your badge on my desk right now kind of moment. And then I think you would you would also offered up that looming in the background, usually in one or two scenes, there is either the mayor or the police commissioner, because the beleaguered police chief has got the commissioner breathing down his neck or her neck. Yeah, did I? I think I pretty much covered that. Pretty much covered it, and uh, and holy cow, did we get some great emails? But the, the the CEOs, it's important to note that the CEOs can be mismatched in all kinds of different ways. Yes, you know, there's the buy the book and then the loose gun. But as as I pointed out, maybe one of them's a robot. You know, <laughs> right. and one of them's human. You right. know, that's a mismatch. But right. or an alien. You know, or one of them's very young. And and uh, and the and the key is to, in coming up with this to remember that in this movie, which ultimately will get made, uh, they're still CEOs of their companies. Yes, they're just for reasons that I can explain, but you don't need to know. They're also cops who solve crimes. Who solve crimes? Right. That's important. So, um, again, drop us an email with your suggestions. We're going to pick a few winners, and we will have some prizes in the form of, among other things, the brand new Motley Fool Asset Management T-shirt that I'm wearing, which of course nobody can see, but I'll I'll, I'll tweet out a photo of it because uh, it's a fabulous new design. If you can picture the words Motley Fool Asset Management, yes, and a shirt, 
you're most of the way there. I was going to say, you're, you're, you're pretty much there. You're pretty much there. Um, I will say, of the uh, 16 submissions we have so far, I'm not going to spoil them, and we're not, we're not going to take the time to read them all. They're, they're all great, and some people went so far as to write uh, not just, here's who I would cast, but they wrote some dialogue, some different scenes, that sort of thing. I will, t- I will simply say this. One CEO has appeared more often than any other in the same role, and it is the loose cannon cop. And that person is John Ledger from T-Mobile, which apparently a number of our listeners, they look at the landscape of public company CEOs, and they look at John Ledger at T-Mobile and just think, that that guy, I mean, if that guy were a cop, he would absolutely be the crazy one. Well, you know, now you've got Jeffrey Mesger from KB Homes as a possible new alternative right. that you can consider for that. Um, so, again, email us, marketfullerydfool.com. Maybe, maybe he's working with Martha Stewart, you know, and she's horrified by this language and, and tries to educate him on, on how to behave better. And that's where the friction comes from. It could be. There are a lot of choices out there. There are a lot of choices. Hopefully, listeners are going to come up with better ones than you just did. Um, two other things for the bonus episode of Market Foolery, because again, this is this is going to be an episode. We're, we're, we're trying this for the first time. Uh, this has been suggested uh, from time to time from different listeners, and it's essentially, hey, what if you just got in a room and, and talked about random stuff? What if it was a, a 100% tangent episode? But we want to have some structure to it. So we're looking for any suggestions you have on questions, and we got one, and I think this is a good because one thing we threw out there was shark versus tiger. Basic question: If a shark fights a tiger, who wins, and and why? And and I'll circle back to that in a minute. But first, a question that we got from a listener, uh, Mark in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, he writes, um, guys, for your bonus episode, you had mentioned a story in the Washington Post about Elvis Presley. Dying at the age of 42 meant that Elvis missed out on a potential comeback later in his career in the same way that Johnny Cash, Glenn Campbell, Brian Wilson, and Tony Bennett did. Elvis Presley aside, which performer who died too young would you like to have seen have a career into his or her 80s? I'm thinking musical performers, but if you want to pick an actor or actress, well, it's your show. That's that to me is a really good example of the type of of non-investing question that we could we could kick around. You, me, and and uh, to be named later, uh, fool who has never appeared on Market Foolery, but you and I immediately agreed. Like, oh, if we're going to have a third person in the room, we know who it's going to be. Sure. Um, so, email us your questions, marketfoolery at fool dot com. Did you want to talk about Shark v. Tiger? I do. Because you always seem to want to talk about Shark v. Tiger. <sighs> Who doesn't? Um, we've Some of the listeners have already weighed in on Shark versus so, Tiger. Here's, I think, how it needs to be framed, right? Uh, there are essentially four uh, elements, right? There's earth, sea, uh, sky, and, and fire, right? right. And, and, and if you have the fight on land, you got to like the tiger. Yes. Yeah, have it in the water. You got you got to like the shark. Mm-hmm. It, fire, I'm afraid neither one of them are going to win. Yeah, uh, fire's got a very good record against sharks and tigers historically. Uh, historically, and well, why would this time be different? But then there's air, and some have posited, well, if you if you took the shark and the tiger and you dropped them out of a plane so that they they didn't have that uh, you know atmosphere uh, advantage, you know, who would win? And 
And I think that's the wrong. And all, while that is creative, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Uh, I think it would be better, more logical, really, uh, to posit that they're in zero gravity. You have Elon Musk. Call him up. He'll do this. Send them up in SpaceX up to the the you know the space station. And they've got like a boxing ring up there, right? Uh, yeah, like a steel so. cage grudge. They, they they've got one of these things, and and that's I mean, where, it, it can't be all work and no play up there. So yeah, they right. got to have something to. So, and that's where you have the, the shark v tiger in zero g. Um, so as I mentioned, a few of the listeners have already weighed in on on shark v tiger. Uh, Don Gleason um, making the point that. Uh, Sort of hitting the point that you just made that just like in investing, environment is everything. So, depending on the environment, one will have the advantage over the other. Uh, Bud Turner, longtime listener, uh, he didn't suggest space station, but he did say, um, uh, get with the people at NASA. They've got the, the vomit comet, and let's do this in zero gravity. Although, Bud says, my money is still on the tiger. Uh, and then there was Brendan Smith who added, and I have to, I have to read this. Uh, by the way, did you know that the almost blind Greenland shark is the longest living vertebrate animal and might be able to live to 500 years old? I just thought I'd give you a head start on the rambling. That's terrifying that there's a shark out there, a species of shark that lives to be hundreds, plural, of years old. Hmm. I, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Aren't they a little less terrifying when they get older? I mean, humans are. They slow down, right? (laughs) Um, Or do they just keep growing? No, I think I think at some point, much like humans, they and and all creatures, they stop growing at some point, but they just get older. Yeah, I'm not sure that all creatures do stop growing. Really? I don't know. Um, It's been a while since I've taken bio. I like the um, I like the idea of the space station, and I think trees trees just keep growing. Yeah, some of those out west. Yeah, absolutely. Those things are monstrous. but we're if if we're sure about anything, we're sure that at the space station they've got a boxing ring, right? If the, if if listeners walk away from this episode with no other knowledge, it's that no other knowledge that they've acquired, right? Yes, it's it's that that shark v tiger could soon be taking place in the boxing ring on the space station. And the thing is, I mean, Mayweather uh, and uh, McGregor, yeah. I mean, the pay per view on that this this would triple that, right? Oh, first of all, I I don't. Remember, I don't think at any point in my life I've actually paid money for a boxing pay per view. I've, I've, you know, a friend has it or something like that, but uh, I would absolutely pay. Shark v. Tiger in yeah. zero G, like you'd take out a loan, like, no matter how expensive it is. You, you might have to finance it. I don't know about that. I think that's that's one. I think that's one where you don't you don't tell. The, You're not helping to sell this at all. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't be a boxing promoter. I really couldn't. I'm barely I'm barely succeeding at this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? So email us marketfoolery at fool dot com if you've got your submission for uh, the Buddy Cop CEO movie, or you've got your question that you want us to kick around. Uh, again, Mark in Arlington, which performer would you like to have seen um, have a career into his or her 80s? Here's a question that I have for you. Okay. And I, w- I want to wait and hear this uh, on this one. But if, if you were to pick your personal Mount Rushmore of, of comedy influences on the, the comedy stylings of Chris Hill, who would you go with? And uh, I don't want you to answer this until until the show. Okay, good, because I'm not answering that yet. Right. <laughs> Bill Barker, Motley Fool Asset Management. 
Thanks for being here. Thank you. Again, the bonus episode, it will be before the end of the month. I honestly thought we were going to get to it sooner, but it is coming soon, I promise. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Okay.